and struck me full in the face as I stepped out the door of the hospital. The squint of my eyes, however, was not occasioned by the rays of the sun. It was the visible display of the anguish and despair that racked my very life. I had spent several hours with my sobbing wife. Now I was about to keep the appointment that would prove to be the emotional climax of the day my world collapsed. On my way to the appointment, I stopped at a diner to have a cup of coffee and to bolster my courage. I was oblivious to everything except the appointment that awaited me. Leaving the diner, I made my way to a large white house located on a corner in Columbia, South Carolina. I followed the owner into a large room where he soon left me alone. I slowly made my way across a thick rug on the floor to a table on the far side of the room. Upon the table was a white box. I stood before the white box for endless eternities before I finally summoned enough courage to look over the top and down inside at the lifeless body of my son. At that sight, my world collapsed. I would have given up the prestigious executive training program that I was engaged in with one of the largest international oil companies. I would have given up all my academic and athletic awards. I would have given up anything. For the first time in my life, I had come to a hurdle I could not clear. My world collapsed. Now, I know that many of you can relate to that father. And death is the biggest hurdle on the path of life. And it's one we can't clear on our own. It's a threatening enemy that is fearful and confusing. Samuel Johnson expressed his horror at the death of a friend this way. He said, at the sight of this last conflict, I felt a sensation never known to me before, a confusion of passions, an awful stillness of sorrow, a gloomy terror without a name. Well, David gives it a name in Psalm 23, verse 4. He calls it the valley of the shadow of death. As a shepherd would lead his sheep through the hills of Palestine in the late afternoon, dusk would often settle upon them quickly. And as they went down into a ravine or a valley, the sunshine and warmth of the day would suddenly disappear. And it would be replaced by darkness and by a chill and by long shadows. And because sheep are jumpy creatures, because they spook easily, this was the kind of setting that brought out their worst fears because predators usually attacked in the dark. John Bunyan in his book Pilgrim's Progress describes the valley of the shadow of death this way. It was as dark as pitch, unutterable misery. Over that valley hang the discouraging clouds of confusion. Death also doth always spread its wings over it in a word, it is every whit dreadful, being utterly without order. Now, as I describe that valley, I realize there are some of you sitting here today who are in the valley. 
It's hard to see the path. There's a chill in the air. And the shadows are intimidating. But as you struggle with the fear and the misery and the confusion, I want to tell you this morning that your world doesn't have to collapse. Because God has an antidote for dark valleys. It's in Psalm 23 and verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, why does he call it a valley? Well, because a valley is a low spot in life. And life has many valleys. Joshua 7.26 talks about the valley of trouble. Psalm 84.6 talks about the valley of weeping. And here in Psalm 23.4, it's the valley of the shadow of death, or as some translate it, it's the valley of deep darkness. And it's, in its broadest sense, the valley includes all of the rough times in life that trouble us and confuse us and scare us. Now, we would love to live on the mountaintops, but life isn't that way. Because beside every mountain, there is a valley. And to get to the next mountain, you have to go through the valley. So the question is not, how do I avoid them? The question is, how do I go through them? How do I handle the valleys of life? And I want to suggest two ways this morning. Number one, there are certain things we need to remember. And number two, there are certain things we need to do. First of all, there are certain things we need to remember. Let me give you five facts about valleys that you need to remember when you're going through hard times. Number one, valleys are inevitable. You can't avoid them. You are going to find yourself in them. Life is a mixture of pain and pleasure, of victories and defeat, of successes and failures, of mountaintops and of valleys. And David makes it very clear in this psalm that the dark valleys are just as much a part of the path of righteousness as the green pastures. So if you are following the Lord Jesus and you find yourself in a valley today, understand that that is part of God's path. In fact, right now in this room, everyone in this room either just came out of a valley or you're in a valley or you're about to enter a valley. Jesus prepared us for that. In John 16, he said, In this world, you will have trouble. In this life, we can expect difficulties and disappointments and discouragement. There will be times of suffering and sorrow and sickness. You will experience failure. You will experience frustration. You will experience fatigue. James assured us of the same thing in James 1, 2. He said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now notice, he said, when you encounter various trials. It's not if, it's when. 
It's not if you're going to go through a valley. It's when you're going to go through a valley. It's going to happen, so don't let it surprise you. Valleys are inevitable. Second fact about valleys. Valleys are unpredictable. You can't plan them. You can't time them. You can't schedule them. Valleys are always unexpected. And they always seem to happen at the worst time. Have you ever had a flat tire at a good time? No. We don't plan flats. And they usually happen at the most inconvenient moments. That's the way valleys are. They come suddenly. They come unpredictably. I mean, it would be nice if you could plan them, wouldn't it? Next Thursday, between, say, 10 and 12, I think I'll squeeze in a valley. They don't come that way. In fact, have you noticed how quickly a good day can become a bad day? Just one phone call. Just one letter from the IRS. Just a routine visit to the doctor for a checkup. Or you come around the corner and you're involved in a freak accident. You didn't plan it. You didn't expect it. Some of you are going to leave here this morning. And you're going to enter a valley. And you don't even have a hint of it yet. Because valleys are unpredictable. Third thing to remember... Valleys are impartial. No one is immune to them. No one is insulated from pain and sorrow. None of us gets to skate through life problem-free. Everybody has problems, good people and bad people. Having problems and trials and difficulties and disturbances and downtimes doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know what it means? It means you're a person. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, God causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people because valleys are impartial. Now, what's the first question we ask when we go through a valley? Why me? See, the question should be, why not me? Why do you think that you ought to be exempt from the problems that everybody else goes through? Why should I think I should be the only person in the universe who never has a tragedy, who never has a loss, who never loses a loved one? You see, this is not heaven. This is earth. And we are going to go through valleys. Everybody does because they're impartial. And then the fourth fact, valleys are temporary. They have an end to them. They don't last forever. A valley is not a permanent location. That's why David says in verse 4, even though I walk through, underline that word, even though I walk through the valley, 
The valley is not something you stay in. It's something you go through. It's a season in your life. It's a situation that has a beginning and has an end. Now, I know that when you get into a valley, it often seems like there's no way out. Some of us get in valleys and we think we ought to set up our permanent address there. But see, that's not the way valleys are. You go in and you come out. You don't stay there. You pass through. It's like the guy who said, my favorite verse is, it came to pass. Problems don't come to stay. They come to pass. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 for just a moment, verse 6. 1 Peter 1, 6. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Did you get that? Trials are not something you're distressed by forever. They come for a little while. Valleys are temporary. You see, even if it's your whole life, it's temporary in light of eternity. If you live to be 80 or 90 years old and you've had a valley, a difficulty, your entire life, that's only temporary in light of eternity. And then the fifth thing we need to remember, valleys are purposeful. God has a reason for taking you through a valley. Look again at 1 Peter 1.6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That word various means multicolored. They're like Baskin-Robbins. There are 31 different flavors. There are financial valleys, there are relational valleys, there are emotional valleys, there are physical valleys, but God has a purpose behind them all. You say, well, what is the purpose of a valley? Well, Peter tells us in verse 7, in order that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's through the trials of life, it's through the valleys of life that your faith is refined like gold. You know, we love the mountaintops, but we need to be reminded this morning that it's in the valleys where God builds our faith. Have you ever noticed that when things are going great, when you're sailing along, you seem to get along without God. And then when you run into things that are dark and threatening, who are we looking for? We're looking for the Lord. There's an old Arab proverb that goes like this, all sunshine and no rain makes a desert. If you don't have any cloudy days, if you don't have any gloomy days, you're going to be dried up. You're going to have no depth. You're going to have no maturity. 
You see, there's an important principle we all need to understand, and that is that God is much more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. God is much more interested in your holiness than in your happiness. George Matheson came to understand this. Listen to what he wrote. My God, I have never thanked thee for my thorns. I have thanked thee a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorns. I have been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensation for my cross, but I have never thought of my cross as a present glory. Teach me the glory of my cross. Teach me the value of my thorn. Show me that I have climbed to thee by the path of pain. Show me that my tears have made my rainbow. Maturity doesn't happen on the mountaintops. Maturity happens in the valleys. Valleys are purposeful. And what is the ultimate purpose that God has for your life? Well, he wants to make you like Christ. And so it makes sense that to do that, he will take you through many of the things that Jesus went through. Was Jesus exempt from suffering? No. Was Jesus exempt from loneliness? No. Was Jesus exempt from discouragement? No. Was Jesus exempt from being criticized and maligned unjustly? No. Then why do we think that when we follow him, we're going to be exempt? You see, you are going to go through valleys, but God has a purpose in them, and that is to build your faith and to make you more like Christ. So when we're in a valley, there are certain things we need to remember. Valleys are inevitable. Valleys are unpredictable. Valleys are impartial. Valleys are temporary. And valleys are purposeful. And then secondly... There are certain things we need to do. And David tells us three things we're to do in Psalm 23, 4. First thing, refuse to be intimidated. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. David says, I have no fear. Christians should be the ones wearing those t-shirts that say, no fear. Because when you, when you tr fear God in a proper way, you have no reason to fear anything else. Now, what is it that you fear most? What is it that people fear most? Well, it's death. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews 2.15. It says that men face the fear of death all their lives. But that same verse tells us that Jesus has freed us from the fear of death. And how did he do that? Well, he went down into death for us, and he came out the other side through resurrection, and he left the way open for us to go through it. In 1 Corinthians 15:55, it pictures death as a bee with a stinger. And it says that Jesus has taken the stinger out of death. I heard about a boy who was riding in the car with his father when a 
bee flew in the open window. Now the boy was highly allergic to bee stings, and so both the boy and the father knew that this was a life-threatening situation. And so the boy was frantically jumping around trying to avoid this agitated bee, and his father reached out and he snatched the bee in his hand. After a moment, he opened his hand again, and the bee flew free, terrorizing the boy again. And his father leaned over to him and said, Look, son, and he held out his hand, and the stinger was lodged in the hand of his father. You see, just as that bee lost its stinger when it stung the father, death lost its stinger when it stung Jesus. It can still buzz around. It can still scare you, but it has no sting. You see, if you're a believer here this morning, the worst thing that death can do for you is the very best thing that can happen to you. So you can say with David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now notice something. David says, I walk through the valley. I like that. He doesn't say I run through the valley. To walk means a calm, deliberate, consistent pace progressing through the valley. You don't panic and run the other way. You don't try to go around the valley. You don't try to go over the valley. You don't try to go under the valley. You go through the valley, and David says, you walk. Why? Because you refuse to be intimidated. And then the second thing you're to do is recognize that you're not alone. He goes on to say, for thou art with me. God not only promises his power in the valley, he promises his presence in the valley. And if you're a believer here this morning, I can say to you with confidence, you will never go through a valley in life by yourself. You will never go through a dark day alone. When Abraham was in a valley in Genesis 26, 24, God said, I am with you. I will bless you. When Jacob was in a valley in Genesis 28, 15, God said, I am with you. I will keep you. When the children of Israel were in a valley in Isaiah 41, 10, God said, I am with you. I will strengthen you. When Jeremiah was in a valley in Jeremiah 1, 8, God said, I am with you to deliver you. When Judah was in a valley in Jeremiah 30, 11, God said, I am with you to save you. And when you were in a valley, Jesus says to you in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he adds this in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always with us on the mountaintops, and in the valleys. You see, God doesn't watch you enter the valley and then wait at the other end and say, I hope they make it through. No, God goes through the valley with us. And that makes all the difference in the world. When my daughter Lindsay was young, 
she would come up to me and say, Daddy, would you go downstairs with me? And I'd say, well, why do you want to go downstairs? And she'd say, well, I need to get a toy. And I'd say, well, why do I need to come with you to go downstairs? And she would say, well, I just want you to be along. You see, to her as a little girl, my presence could transform the basement from a dark, threatening place to a bright, safe place. And that's the way it is with the Lord when I can say, you're with me. A man was dying in his bed at home, and he was quite fearful even though he was a Christian. And one day he expressed that fear to his Christian doctor. The physician was silent, not knowing what to say. And as, as he was standing there contemplating what he could say to this man, there was a whining and a scratching at the door. And the doctor went to the door and he opened the door and inbounded his big, beautiful, golden retriever who he often brought with him to make house calls. It was obvious that the dog was glad to see him and so the doctor bent over and he petted his dog and while he was petting the dog, he was reflecting. And he got up and he turned to the dying man and he said, you know, my dog has never been in your room before. So he didn't know what it was like in here. But he knew I was here, and that was enough. You see, you don't know what is ahead in the valley. You don't know what it's like because you haven't been there. But God says, I am there, and that's enough. No matter how dark the valley gets, I can say with David, Thou art with me. Now, we've been in Psalm 23 for four weeks now. And when you get to verse 4, there's a strategic change in language. In the first part of this psalm, all the pronouns are in the third person. David is talking about God. He says, he makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores me, he guides me. But when he gets in the valley, he changes to the second person. You see, he, he stops talking about God and he starts talking to God. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, it's when you get in the valleys of life that you come face to face with God. And suddenly the ultimate becomes the intimate. Suddenly your religion becomes a relationship. Because when I am going through a valley in life, I don't want to talk about God. I want to talk to God. And if you ask any mature Christian, they will tell you that the times they came face to face with God were in the valleys. We enjoy the mountaintops, but you'll never be closer than when you're in a valley. Third thing we need to do is rely on God's provision. Verse 4, Thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. David says, say, my rod and my staff. He says, thy rod and thy staff. The thing that comforted a sheep in the valley was the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff. Now, those were the two basic tools of a shepherd. The rod was about two feet long. It looked kind of like a billy club. It was made out of a hardwood sapling. 
And the end of that sapling that was larger where it connected to the roots, the, the shepherd would take and he would whittle it into a nice, smooth, heavy ball. And then he would whittle the rest of the stick so it just fit his hand perfectly. And that rod was used for defense. He would often use it to beat off a predator. Or if he needed to, he would use it to throw it with great accuracy to strike a predator. It was for defense. And then he also had a staff. Now, you know what a staff looks like because you've been to the Christmas pageant. It's a long stick with a crook at the end. The staff was used primarily for direction. He would touch the sheep on the side to direct them to the right or the left. Or if the sheep got off the path, oftentimes they would get caught in in some kind of briars. He would use that crook to reach in and to pull the sheep free and to get it back on the path. You say, well, why are these two tools so comforting to the sheep? Well, because in a dark valley, a sheep had two primary concerns. Number one, getting eaten by predators who would jump out of the dark. And number two was getting lost off the trail because he couldn't see very well in the dark. And the rod and the staff answer both of those fears. The rod was there to defend him. The staff was there to direct him. And just as David, thinking as a sheep, says that, we can say that as well. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod of defense, your staff of direction, they comfort me in life. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. When you face a dark valley, your world doesn't have to collapse like the fellow I read from at the beginning. You can refuse to be intimidated. You can recognize you're not alone. And you can rely on God's provision. And you know what makes a valley so scary? It's the shadows. David says here, it's the valley of the shadow of death. And so in closing, I just want to help you understand three things about shadows. Number one, shadows are always bigger than the reality. The fear that I have inside is always bigger than the actual problem. As a kid, were you ever in your room and you saw this huge threatening shadow on the wall and you got up and you turned the light on and you realized it was your little bitty teddy bear? Shadows are always bigger than the reality. Secondly, shadows can't hurt you. When Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse's wife died, he was driving his children home from the funeral. And he was trying to think of some way to comfort them in the loss of their mother. And just about that time, a moving van went by and cast a shadow completely over their car. And Dr. Barnhouse asked his children, would you rather have been run over by that truck or by its shadow? And they said, well, of course, Dad, we would have rather been run over by its shadow because shadows can't hurt us. And Dr. Barnhouse turned to his children and he said, 2,000 years ago, the truck of death 
ran over Jesus so that the only thing that can run over us is its shadow. That's why in this psalm, David calls it not the valley of death, he calls it the valley of the shadow of death. Shadows are image with no substance. They can scare you, but they can't hurt you. And then a third thing about shadows. There is no shadow without a light source. When you're in a dark valley, you're probably thinking the sun is completely gone. It's not shining anywhere. It's pitch dark everywhere. But the truth is, there would not be a shadow without a light source. So whenever you are being scared by a shadow, that tells me you're looking the wrong direction. You need to turn around and look at the light source, and when you do, the shadow will fall behind you. And what is the light source? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The hymn writer put it this way, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Everybody goes through valleys. They lose loved ones. They have financial problems. They experience disappointments and sickness and tragedy. But for the Christian... There's a difference, a big difference. The difference is not the absence of the shadow. The difference is the presence of the shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you for this passage that reminds us that life is made up of mountaintops and life is made up of dark valleys. And Father, for those that are in valleys today, we pray that these might be encouraging words to realize that you are with us in the darkest valley and that you have everything we need. And Father, I pray that we might learn in all that life brings us, in all that you take us through, to hold tightly to your hand and to look to you for all of our provisions. We pray in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.